This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. A note to listeners, the Gertrude Brown Community Land Trust, which is the topic of this interview, has an upcoming event next week, Saturday, January 13th, 2024, from 6 to 9 p.m. in Studio 2B of the Cowell Center, 528 Hennepin Avenue, Minneapolis. You can find a link to information on the event and a link to register in the show notes. Now let's go to the interview. Here it is. Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? Yep. yep. Yeah, so on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. Do you want to just let listeners know who you are? Yeah, so I can go first. My name is Abigail. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Gertrude Brown Community Land Trust, and I was born and raised in South Minneapolis, and Currently, my day job, I work full-time in social work as a mental health case manager in Hennepin County. Um, yeah, that's me. Cool. Thanks, Gail. Um, Manuel here. I use any pronouns, and I am. I also live in the Twin Cities area, Minneapolis specifically. And uh, I would say that, yeah, as a co-founder, Lucy Defined, <laughs> um, I decided to yeah, get involved with this just out of a recognition that um, most like interpersonal violence and violence in general does come from like housing insecurity and education. So I work with Atlas Defense primarily. That's like my main daytime job. Uh, and while we try to address, you know, uh, preventing responding to violence in a training aspect, we also knew that housing was always a part of that too. So that's why I was happy to work with Gertrude Brown Community Land Trust um, to start addressing all, all ways that violence can be perpetrated in the community. Well, I really appreciate y'all being with uh, with me today. So, you know, I first connected, first actually found out about Gertrude Brown Community Land Trust on August 26th at the second annual Minneapolis Solidarity Festival, which was next to Moon oh, Palace cool. Books. It was, actually wasn't able to make it to the first one last year, so it was great to get out mm -hmm. there this year. Um, do y'all just want to quickly talk about... Um, how you got connected with the festival and then what the response was of folks at the table at the festival, or I guess in general, what the uh, response of folks you've been talking to when you've been out and about uh, uh, promoting the land trust has been so far, uh, has it been mostly positive or. Yeah. yeah Gail, do can... you want to talk about the tabling? Yeah, I can answer the question about the tabling. Mm -hmm. So we were reached out to by Robin's team to table at the Solidarity Fest. Um, this is because we have had a lot of support from the Twin Cities DSA for the land trust and the Twin Cities DSA is also supporting Robin's campaign. So the connection happened that way. And it was, tabling is really great because not only do you connect to people who come to the table, but also all the other organizers who also have their own tables. Um, mm -hmm. And something, so we've been tabling at events throughout the summer in Minneapolis and the response has been really positive. Uh, something that I've been talking about a lot with folks is people will come up to our table and they'll say, this is really great. You know, I really care about 
homelessness in the Twin Cities and in general, I really want to get involved. Maybe they're aware of an encampment in their neighborhood or in their community, but they don't Mm -hmm. really know how to approach it. They don't really know how to start engaging. And a lot of this, this is for a lot of reasons that maybe I won't get into at this time, but something that I like to tell people is that we want to be a space where all of those community members who have been looking to get involved and support their unhoused neighbors have a platform to do so. So I explained to people that we have space for people to volunteer at any capacity to donate once, to come to our Saturday meetings, and we can just start to explain sort of how this applies to their own lives, how this applies to maybe something they're passionate about or their current career, and how those that everyone really has skills that can be applied to our project to address this issue. And so trying to improve access for people to feel like they can start to enter into this type of work and to also realize that it applies to everyone, no matter what your skill set is or history, expertise, or background. Fantastic. Agreed. More broadly, I think that um, the reason that people know they want to do something, but they don't know what exactly is because, like Gail was saying, we are all connected. This is a interconnected struggle that requires some kind of unified front. And what that means is that, uh, yeah, people are going to approach us. They're going to see themselves, you know, probably helping in, in some capacity uh, because we're all implicit in the homelessness that is sure perpetuated by systemic, ne- systemic neglect and all the other factors of the state and their actors. Um, but it's with our consent though, too. People that vote are just as implicit as the people that are doing the encampment sweeps. So, that's why I think that like people are starting to connect that circuit and realize that beyond just voting and hoping, <laughs> they can do things within their capacity, within their skill set, um, that can further this shared goal. And sometimes that means uh, learning from some of the approaches that we're doing and maybe adapting it to their own uh, goals, their own models. I know that there's a couple like well-established land trusts out there that have offered a little bit of input and guidance just uh, on the regulatory side or zoning stuff. Um, Even though we don't really plan on creating a apartment complex, which is what, which seems to be like the pretty common, the like popular direction that a lot of these land trusts go. Um, But that doesn't mean that we aren't going to learn anything from those other larger orgs that go that route. Um, So yeah, I would say like interpersonally and organizationally, Everybody sees themselves as a part of the solution and the problem. Um, and it's just a matter of giving people the opportunity to do the right thing. Kind of what we framed this before, even in like de-escalation in class that I personally teach, is showing people that there is an opportunity to do something tangible. Um, and it may not uh, be as flashy or get all the attention that um, larger stuff gets or lectorals do. But that's not what we're doing it for either. So... I think that's why, yeah, it's been pretty fluid in the sense of like, you know, people that are active on the planning committees or people that show up to help table or folks that have helped us put on the um, other fundraiser that we hosted over at Sewer Cafe. Um, but we also are trying to do it, yeah, why, as or, or in a way that we're being aware of people's capacities and try not to put everything just on a handful of people or especially one person like <laughs> our friend Gail here. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and yeah. you mentioned coming out of that Solidarity Festival, you all had a fundraiser at Seward Cafe September 8th. I was able to attend the fundraiser for a little while. It seemed oh, good, like a yeah. really, you know, great turnout to me. Um, y'all had some really great art out there as well. 
and I had some good conversations just while I was there only for a little bit. Um, it was really happy to see that there was masks available, which was really cool. Um, you know, that's not happening enough. You know, how do you think the, um, how do you think the event went? And do you just want to talk a little bit about any of the conversations, discussions, um, you know, I mean that we have organizing meetings, but a lot of organizing, you know, happens around the edges and stuff like that. And ideas come up, Informal you know, stuff, was, yeah. was there stuff discussed at that, um, uh, at that fundraiser or things that, you know, discussions you had that are kind of sticking with you at this point? Uh, how do you think it went? Gail, do you want to start again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can start us off there. So something that I think the event really exemplified about our organization that I thought was really great is that we're trying to bring a lot of different mutual aid efforts and different types of organizers and people together to concentrate efforts that really do exist already and have for a long time all around Minneapolis to provide support um, for encampments and front of house people. And so something that I really loved about our event is that you could see that there was representation from all different types of people, different types of organizers. We had organizers and people who are involved from the north side as well as the south side and lots of different demographics. And I was really happy to see that because something that we've had conversations about is that a lot of the mutual aid supports in Minneapolis are pretty fragmented between south and north Minneapolis. And oftentimes north Minneapolis ends up receiving a lot less of those supports. There's a lot less mutual aid networking and support in North Minneapolis a lot of the time. And so our plan is to buy land on the North side. And so to be able to kind of connect some of those people that have those common goals and to try to bring those resources together was really exciting to see at the fundraiser. And I think the fundraiser was also a great reminder that when we're doing this work, it's important to have fun. We all got to be together, be in community, listen to some great music, and relax for a night. You know, a lot of times we forget to do that. And I think it was a really great way to both bring the community together and also remind the community that we need to all have, have some fun together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that like hosting it over at Seward cafe um, was obviously like a, a magnet for Southsiders. Right. And like Gail was saying, there is this like I'll just flat out say it. There's just like this racist assumption between Northsiders and Southsiders that, One's better than the other. Or one's more dangerous than the other. Um, mm -hmm. And that also leads to like, yeah, like a lack of awareness of how much organizing is going down in North Minneapolis. And that's all this. That's just a re reflection, you know, of like people like myself, Gail and others that live in Southside and we spend a lot of time there. And we just may not always see everything that's going on in Northside. So I think that that's why I was trying to use Atlas Defense, you know, the business that I uh, work with here based in North Minneapolis, along with our so my family that lives up here too, um, to again, kind of like convey it to Southsiders, like not that scary up here, not that far away. <laughs> there is, there are opportunities for everybody. And I feel like that's also the other part of like focusing on North side is not just initially, you know, centering the um, near North encampment that this funding was pulled together initially for, but also reminding people that we can, like I said before, have a unified front across our very small city when you think about it. Um, if we have more of these events that try to uh, bridge the gap by having those discussions and talking about what is possible within Northside that can be executed and carried out and supported by people from all over the city. Um, <clears throat> because, yeah, I would say, like, comparatively speaking, sure, Southside is just larger. There's a lot more mutual aid that is out in the open. Um, stuff that gets on social media, you know, all, all those flashy things. And Northside is a bit just 
different about it, a bit humble about it. They're the lines of logistics, supply, et cetera, are probably a little bit less formal, but they're still getting stuff done. Um, and again, why it, it seems like if we're going to focus on the needs of the initial residents that this money was raised for, then yeah, we're going to start in Northside. Um, and I think we might be talking about our exit strategy later down in this interview, but that's also part of um, making sure that like this first time that we do things, we want to do it right, do it slow, and then use what we can to create somewhat of a blueprint to share with other organizations that want to go about forming a land trust in a way that doesn't reflect like the larger nonprofits that are building apartment complexes, but <laughs> instead a community-driven approach. So we know that we're really new to this um, and that's why we're, re we're re recording every step along the way, making sure that we're learning from the community that we're working with uh, because this is just the, the first try. <laughs> And I just want to kind of go off of that. Yeah. That this really is a community driven effort. And that is something that I want to tie back to the Sewer Cafe fundraiser that, mm -hmm. you know, that was our very first fundraiser. And we did have a massive turnout. We raised a great amount of money. Um, and as an org, we really did it based on people power. It was, we cooked the food ourselves. We had people volunteer for every aspect of the role from cooking to baking mm -hmm. to playing music to setting up. To tearing down, you know, all of the different details that go into a fundraiser. I think it was a great show that with people coming together and applying themselves in community, you can do a lot even with the very beginning of a grassroots movement. Mm -hmm. That was really exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. I had, um, yeah, I was saying I had some conversations. I, you know, one was with somebody who was, who's experienced, um, you know, housing insecurity previously and just talking about specifically about the importance of like a housing first uh, model for, you know, uh, dealing with uh, this issue in our community of making sure that uh, everyone has housing. So that was super, uh, super important mm -hmm. and 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 uh, and really interesting to hear some of the stuff that that, that individual is working on. Now, I did see some um, posts uh, when I because I had the flyer had gotten some stuff on it had gotten thrown out for the event. So I was looking online for the event and um, mm -hmm. I had seen uh, it, where it had been posted the uh, the flyer online. And um, there were some people mentioning previous work by indigenous folks that have been out there organizing, specifically mentioning uh, Red Road Village, which we've talked oh, uh, yeah. very briefly about on this uh, program in the past, as well as some other organizing efforts. And I know that there was a reply that, you know, the land trust is very aware of um, you know, previous uh, organizing and ongoing organizing, you know, centering land back as part of the organizing. Um, it was also mentioned that, you know, obviously, and you mentioned this before, the land trust is just one part of a bigger movement. Um, do y'all want to just talk about how you see Gertrude Brown Community Land Trust fitting into the local activist organizing, you know, ecosystem as it exists right now, what that looks like? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say that that's going to be a slow and mutual process, too, of, you know, expecting us to assimilate into certain things just as much as we expect benevolence and uh, a little bit of grace as we're getting off the ground, too. Uh, because, yeah, Red Road Village has been in the works for quite a while. They, uh, I personally know some of the folks that work with that, too. And I feel like, especially social media, kind of like Google reviews, right? Social media is going to raise the concerns of the loudest people that have the time to, uh, you know, write those kind of things and speculate about right. things that they're not a part of, which is why we're just working on being consistent, keeping our, keeping our, our mission focused on 
the actual outcome of housing uh, while at the same time, yeah, sure, being aware that we need an extra strategy, we need, an, we need an exit plan that will put the land back into the hands of the original stewards of this land, um, which at the same time is not taking any opportunities away from anybody else doing adjacent work. Uh, that's what I meant by, you know, diversity of tactics or the unified front of realizing that there's lots of people working parallel to what we're doing. And, you know, some of that might look like legislative efforts where people are going to implore the city to lower the prices for these lots. And other people that are going to tell you that, you know, voting for this right uh, candidate is going to help the homeless too. <laughs> right. And at the same time, as Red Road Village is being worked on with the Little Earth community, with AIM leadership, and with connection to culturally-specific funding, like from NDN Collective, um, we know that... Uh, the stuff that they're that they're learning, uh, we're learning right alongside them, but in our own way too. Because we are, as you as you can probably imagine, we are not going to be going for uh, like NDN uh, grant money when we know that that is actually going to be more appropriate for the Red Road Village and people that are working with them. Uh, so instead, we're looking at at grants that are more reflective of like uh, reducing community violence by uh, providing stable ho housing and using our experiences to try to match up with the funding and opportunities that we know products that are running parallel to us may not really be considering or maybe they're not even eligible for um for anybody that is familiar with the grant game i hate calling it that but to these grant makers it is a game <laughs> um it's just a matter of like trying to find yeah that that real ideal grant maker that is going to give us what's called um trust-based funding as opposed to stuff that can be I have lots of strings attached, like from uh, Hennepin County or mm -hmm. Cargill Foundation or these other like larger corporations that just want it as a tax write-off. So we're being very selective about, yeah, um, the avenues of approach that we're looking for for funding. So it doesn't give the insinuation that we are competing necessarily with any of these other parallel orgs because there is such a wide breadth of opportunity, funding, et cetera, that is out there. It just takes a lot of a lot of legwork to figure out what's going to be most appropriate for our goals. Um, and at the same time, just cross-sharing, sharing out stuff that we're not eligible for that might be that somebody else might be eligible for too. So I feel like there's a, that the, that the grant making thing is really daunting for a lot of people. And we have some people, myself included, that have experience with that, mm -hmm. with your true Brown community land trust, along with awareness of the other people that are grant writing for these other ones too. Um, so we can share all of our wins and our and our losses because the losses are the things that are going to teach us the the most. And in my short experience, about I've been in business for about seven and a half years, and only in the last like four years have we started seeking out grants for uh, community violence prevention training. Um, I've been told no a lot, <laughs> as you can imagine. That's that's probably going to be like ninety percent of the of the opportunities that we're seeking are going to be ending up in some kind of no. But that's fine. All we need is that 10% of yeses that is going to be that thing that'll move our project forward. So, um, yeah, I think that's just the result of diversity of tactics and us on the inside, knowing that all these things we're putting out there, not everything is going to stick to the wall. Not everything is going to work, but we are going to get to the outcome as we stay persistent and consistent and just uh, connected to the people that we're working with. Um, and why, yeah, an exit plan like, like Landback is exactly that. That's at the end of this project. So we know that that is something that's in development, but that isn't something that we're going to pretend that we have fully formed and that we're going to advertise. 
because right now we're just trying to be able to get our finances correct and be able to get organizationally stable enough to be able to make that next step in making a purchase. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I'll just add briefly too that, you know, the reality of the housing crisis in the Twin Cities is that there is need for both projects and many more. Right. Um, the need is very large in the city for accessible or free housing. Um, we have one of the worst housing crises in the country. And so I think as many of these projects that can work parallel with alongside one another as possible will strengthen our community more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um, I know you guys are saying, you know, you're going slow, you want to, you know, um, make sure that you're doing things the right way. You've talked about buying land. Um, is there anything else you want to add into that about, you know, kind of what what your vision is for um, this uh, community land trust and, and providing housing. Oh, Where yeah, are you guys that was... at in the kind of like, uh, you know, painting the overall picture at this point. Is that something you can share more about? I think I can paint a word picture and Gail, you, you can interject. Uh, Sounds as, good. As needed. I, I might pause for you too, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that the general arc of this project is looking like fundraising for probably the next, I don't know, say like, throughout the entire project, but fundraising to the point where you feel secure enough to make a purchase. Mm. Um, and part of that part of that work is also involving with uh, trying to find ways to negotiate lower prices for these city lots so we're not paying full price. Um, and then, yeah, the idea is that as soon as we make that purchase, the near north, the former near north residents, if you are familiar with that camp that was over by the impound lot, um, Basically, uh, those folks are the ones we've been staying in communication with as both, you know, members of the board and uh, as people that will basically will be able to um, guide the kind of like where this lands and who's going to be moving there. The, the yeah, the um, thing with us with this getting off the ground is probably, yeah, like the moment that we make that purchase, what's going to happen next? And there are some other things that are in motion, like having to work with architects and having to work with people that are, I feel like you, um, and with other, with other people that are uh, helping with like the infrastructure side of this too, because we're going to need power there. We need sewage. We're going to need trash removal. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, like I said, that's probably part of the collaborations that are happening on the early part of this arc that are going to help us be able to do this in an above ground way. So by the time we make that purchase, uh, the next move would be to start getting those micro homes actually set on the lot. And we've probably most of us that have geeked out about tiny homes since the pandemic on <laughs> have noticed that um, tiny homes are basically still homes and they still need to be built correctly. They still need to be up to code, be designed by a good architect, um, but still be accessible. So I think probably one of the inspiring kind of ideas that Somebody on the board, I don't know if it was Gail or somebody else that mentioned about having sponsors um, sponsor individual houses. So we're not going to try to buy the land and then pop up 30 units all of a sudden, but just build as we have funding, build as we have sponsors, and maybe start with you know what's manageable, maybe one to three units, and then move on from there. Uh, and that would be something that we see within the next like one to five years as that development is rolling down the road. Um, and I think probably the other part about like the overall makeup of the board is that we do have a, a stipulation amongst ourselves that we are 
always want to make sure that there's unhoused, housing stable, and housed people that are on the board. But as time goes on, we want to be able to transition most of the board leadership, ownership, whatever you want to call it, to the people that are actually living there at the property. Um, while at the same time, by that point, having that land back clause built in, which don't yeah. quote me on what that's going to look like. It could be, I've seen things as simple as like medium to long-term leases where we basically pay rent to the original stewards of the land. And after a set amount of time, maybe a decade or two, the land is completely relinquished back to the original stewards of the land. Um, and those are just techniques that I'm personally familiar with. Uh, but again, we're talking about like decades down the road too. So, so those, I could, those uh... kind of things. Yeah. And Gail, I, I know that people probably want to see more immediate, quick Instagram bite-sized results, <laughs> but that's just not how this works. So I want to just really quickly for, I realized for maybe some of your listeners that are wondering who we are and what we're doing in general. Um, I want to say that what we are planning to do just in a, I guess, a bite-sized Instagram way is to um, purchase public land, build an intentional community of microhomes that are free for currently unhoused people in Minneapolis, prioritizing previous near North residents um, to live in the microhomes for free in an intentional community model. And what this means is that we will have, after we've built these homes, we will have ongoing supports to make sure the community thrives. And that includes, you know, food share, laundry service, uh, social work clinics, you know, Manuel has offered up de-escalation trainings for the space. We are in conversation with landscape architects to build a community garden that residents would maintain. And so what we're looking is to not only provide free housing, but to also build a support network in the community. That's a beautiful addition to any community. And so we do also plan to canvas the neighborhood once we have purchased a piece of land to talk to the neighbors and to start to increase awareness, information, and reduce stigma about being unhoused in Minneapolis and reduce people's stigmas and hopefully combat this not in my backyard mentality that a lot of people have. And so we have a proposal and overview and it shows the phases of our plan and canvassing is in phase two, I believe it will be after we purchase the land and while we're building. And so, and then ultimately we're hoping that this can be replicated to meet need. You know, we want, we understand that our first piece of land as the, per the zoning laws we're going by, we're not going to be able to house as many people as we'd like to, you know, it might be 15 to 20 micro homes. And so what we're hoping is that after we can prove that this model is really successful, that we can continue to expand this project and build more intentional communities around the city and provide a real tangible way to address the fact that our city is neglecting people who are living outside. Mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate that. Uh, and I really appreciate Gail, Manuel, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. You know, is there anything else you um, you want to share? Any upcoming events to mention or anything else you want to say? We We're have a website. Oh, you go, Manuel. <laughs> oh, I, I just was going to add that we have a website that's always being, being built. Um, but the idea is that that should be our central hub for like announcements, you know, being able to look at our statement of purpose donations, of course, and volunteer sign up. Um, and then Gail has yeah, more info on that and a upcoming 
upcoming stuff that we got. You want to just give the website or you, whoever? Yeah. So our website is G gbclt.org, which stands for Gertrude Brown Community Land Trust. And all of our contact information is posted on the website. So I'd just like to say, first of all, you know, as I mentioned with the tabling, this is if you're wanting to be involved in local organizing or activism, or if you are feeling like this project might be something you'd be passionate about, please do reach out. There really is room in this project for anyone. We are trying to bring the community together to address something that is a public health emergency, right? People are, this is very urgent. This is a very urgent problem in Minneapolis. The city is not responding appropriately. In fact, you know, they're responding with violence with the sweeps we're seeing. So we totally encourage anyone to reach out and just maybe have a coffee with us, come to one meeting, see how you'd like to get involved. Um, We're planning to have another fundraiser that'll be a little bit bigger this winter. We're aiming for the first week of December. So stay tuned on our website for that information because it'll be posted once things are a little more solidified. We're kind of enjoying the outcome of our first fundraiser for a minute, and then we'll get to the next one. That's fantastic. I, yeah, this, this is a really great project. I'm really excited about this. I think a lot of people, you know, have this idea that, you know, they'd like to get some land and and make it a, you know, community that people could uh, be on. I mean, the you know, there's people that have housing that are very insecure in that housing right now as well. There's a mm-hmm. lot of people, um, struggling uh right now you know i i see friends and family that are struggling you know every day so i think this is really uh this is a really important piece and i really appreciate y'all sharing it with me even though you know there's a whole democracy and communication thing going on where you know i don't know everything that's going to happen but you know we're in the process of building it right now and i really appreciate you uh all sharing that with me even though um again there's still a lot of discussion there's a lot of steps to happen for everything to come together um, and I encourage everyone to check you guys out if uh, if they're looking for something to get involved with. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to have us speak for ourselves because we know we're not going to replicate um, the way things have always been done be- before. And we might, you know, we and we definitely are learning from people that came before us. Uh, but that's why uh, the folks that came together have this kind of momentum and this confidence that it will get done. Um, and it's not going to look like anything else, but uh, it's that's because it's going to be always amorphous with the needs of the community. Fantastic. I really appreciate y'all again and uh, have a good rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Too. you. Yeah. Appreciate thanks so you. much. Thank Bye. you. Bye. And that is our special interview. Thank you so much for listening. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.